Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Walk the Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality! Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Let's make it 23 straight starts, allowing three earned runs or fewer for your likely NL Cy Young winner, Blake Snell. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, September 26th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we had some big pitching performances on a pretty small slate here. Only four games on the schedule. Blake Snell was awesome again. We had vintage Justin Verlander on the mound and... Logan Webb, who we probably haven't talked enough about this year. Uh, we'll talk about some pitching schedule updates. I saw your tweets about Kenta Maeda, Scott. He got pushed back. He's going to work in relief this week, so that kind of threw some things off. And yep. let's have some fun. I know last week you uh, wrote up an article, your first two rounds for 2024, so a very early look. We'll do that a little bit later on. Once again, a big thank you to everybody who's already left a five-star rating and review on Apple. Also love seeing the tweets, or what do we call these things now, Scott? X's? I call them tweets yeah, on Twitter. We probably, That's what I call them. Yeah, we probably should just stick with that. Uh, but yeah, we really do appreciate it. Continue to send those in. Uh, it's a lot of fun seeing those screenshots, championships, whatever you want to say. We really do appreciate it. Scott, let's jump in and talk about Monday's action. Can you believe it? Wow. Wow. Blake Snell, Scott. Another great yep. start. He's all yours. Another great start. I mean, he, he probably clinched the Cy Young last time out. We talked about that with his, what was it, seven no-hit innings? So this is just icing on the cake, but six shutout innings at the Giants. Unfortunately, he didn't get a win out of it because Logan Webb was so good. But six shutout innings for Blake Snell, 21 swinging strikes on 100 pitches, seven strikeouts, you know, the typical Blake Snell stuff. And this is now in his last six starts. Blake Snell has allowed a total of two earned runs across six starts. That is... If you're keeping score at home, a 0.47 ERA. And obviously, you know, the overall ERA, it leads baseball. He's going to win the Cy Young. But there's still that issue of all the walks. And so this was a funny stat. During that six-start stretch where he's allowed a total of two earned runs for a 0.47 ERA, Blake Snell has 
given up only 15 hits. He's issued 19 walks. <laughs> He's given up more walks than hits during that six-start stretch, which is just so perfect, so good. And it does help to fuel the fire a little bit about uh, could he possibly repeat this feat last year? And I'm on, I'm on the side of probably not. Gosh, is Blake Snell going to be the most... <laughs> I already got in enough trouble with Cubs fans for a statement like this about Justin Steele. Oh. But is, is, is Blake Snell going to be the most disappointing multi-Cy Young winner ever? I... It just came to mind now. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I would have to look for, up all the other pitchers that have won multiple Cy Youngs. So, yeah, I mean, you got, I think Tim Lincecum won three times and obviously is not Hall of Fame bound because his career crashed so hard. And Brett Saberhagen won multiple times and, you know, obviously didn't wind up in the Hall of Fame. Those, those immediately come to mind. But, like, they, for, for the time that they were winning Cy Youngs, they were consistently dominant best pitcher in baseball, at least in the conversation. Well, Blake Snell has had such an up and down career. And well, there's little you could critique about that first signing season. This one, you know, very unconventional with all the walks. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to rank him. I'm not going to rank him that high going into next year. I can, I feel pretty confident saying that. Yeah, I know you have another article you posted on the site about pitchers, well, just players in general that are going to be tough to rank for next year. And among your five pitchers, one of them was Blake Snell. Another one was Justin Verlander, who we'll talk about in just a little bit as well. Yeah, Blake Snell, I was texting with a buddy. Such an interesting career, as you mentioned. I mean, it's it's been up and down. The control has been an issue. He was... You know, so dominant that second year with Tampa Bay. He won the Cy Young there. But even then, he was kind of limited that season. Like, he really didn't go more than six innings, like, that many times that season. Yeah. Um, I mean, he had 21 wins. He had an ERA below two. He it's deserved like, it. There's no doubt. Like, right. he deserved there, the Cy nobody Young. Nobody was like, ooh, this is an icky Cy. I, I guess some people were like that. Some people were, you know, like, is this what the Cy Youngs come to? That a guy who throws 180 innings or whatever it was can win it? But we've seen that basically that happen with a, a, a few Cy Young winners at this point. Uh, it was just over 180 innings. Yeah, 21 wins, a 189 ERA in 2018. Uh, not, a, not as controversial of a winner then as I would say Blake Snell will be in 2023, five years later. Some other stats on Blake Snell. Like, I know it's been a weird year for the NL Cy Young. I do think that he is a deserving winner. Just looking at, at some of these stats, I mean, 225 ERA, obviously that leads baseball. 234 strikeouts, second most in baseball behind only Spencer Strider. 181 batting average against. That is by far the best in baseball. Corbin Burns is actually second at 198. So Blake Snell, for you know as much as the walks are a big problem, 99 walks this season leads baseball. He's been unhittable. He he has, you know, he's done some really great things. Check out Yeah, well, and I don't want to I don't want to wind up in the same quagmire <laughs> I did with uh Justin Steele when you know, how, however I'm using the word undeserving, I want to clarify what I mean by that. Like if I was voting for NL Cy Young, Blake Snell would get my vote. I think he's been the best pitcher in the National League, but he's been the best pitcher in the National League 
in a down year for pitching overall. And he's done it in a very unconventional way with all the walks. You know, his FIP is 344. His XFIP is 362. His XERA is even higher. His XERA is around 375. And that's part of the reason why I don't think I can rank the, get this guy that high next year. Um, and I hesitate to put a number on it until I start stacking up names. But I'm, I'm not confident Snell will be in my top 20 next year at the position. As the I... ERA leader some and, and reigning Cy Young winner. I'm, I'm not confident in that. I think he'll be inside my top 20, but you're right that for a Cy Young winner who, again, has all these strikeouts and the best ERA in baseball, you would think there's like he's a no doubt, you know, top five, top 10 starting pitcher in fantasy. Well, and he well, he won't be that for me. He'll probably be somewhere in the, I think, 15 to 20 range just off the top of my head. Let's now. put it to the test just a little bit, because I have said Cole Reagan's probably in my top 20. Tarek Skubel probably in my top 20. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Are you taking smell over those guys. Oh, I, man. I, I mean, I, it's I, so tough to say because it's, it's easy to say now. Snell is, is I pretty established when I actually though. go to do it. It may be one of those situations where I rank Snell low enough that I know I won't draft him, but I don't actually want to draft him that high. Like, I, I don't want to seem like a complete loon. <laughs> I don't know. It depends what other people do. I, how that's going to be interpreted, I guess. But uh, the bottom line is it would have to be a pretty steep discount for me to take Snell next year, which has been the case the last few years, really. Yep. And Blake Snell, by the way, entering free agency uh, this offseason, he is out on the market. He's going to be yep. you know, a free agent, and we'll see which, which team he winds up on. Seems like he really does like pitching for the Padres, and they still have a well-established roster that... I imagine they're going to try and compete with next year. So wouldn't surprise me if Blake Snell is back with the Padres again next year. A few other fun stats on him. These secondary pitches that Blake Snell has are just ridiculous. The curveball, a .076 batting average against, a 56% whiff rate. The changeup, 190 batting average against, 47% whiff rate. And the slider, 123 batting average against, 54% whiff rate. Normally, when we look at ace pitchers, if they have two secondary pitches that have a whiff rate over 30%, Scott, I think we feel pretty good about that. You know, if you have a pitch that's over 40, the fact that he has three pitches with a whiff rate 47% or better is truly remarkable stuff for Blake Snell. So again, the stuff is fantastic for him. And I mentioned the stat at the top. 23 straight starts, three earned runs or fewer for Blake Snell. During that stretch, it's been two earned runs or less in 21 of those, one earned run or fewer in 17, zero earned runs in 13 of those 23 starts. And this was a fun stat from Sarah Langs on Twitter. Blake Snell has a 1.2 ERA in his last 23 starts. Only other pitchers with an ERA that low in a single season 23 start span since earned runs became official in both leagues back in 1913 uh bob gibson grover alexander walter johnson and dutch leonard those last three were in 1915 1914 and 1914 so he is doing something historic this season shout out to blake snell he's been awesome but will be a interesting pitcher yeah, to rank i'm already starting to hesitate with the Tarek scoobal cole reagan's thing <laughs> i was kind of mulling over it a little more there's just like a raw feeling of, I don't want Blake Snell next year. 
I do want Cole Reagans and Tarek Skubal next year. But part of what accompanies that feeling is how I think they're going to be valued by people at large. And I, that's unknowable at this point. Uh, I don't know. I'll pull up the results of that one mock draft. And did, did, did Blake Snell go? Do you happen to remember? I, uh, we can't spend the whole podcast talking. About, we could spend the whole podcast talking about Blake Snell. We probably we could. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> interesting. Pretty interesting name there. Um, trying to refresh. He went with the 10th pick of round five. Uh, so uh-huh. that would be pick 70. Other, other starting pitchers who went in that same range. Yeah, he went just ahead of Max Fried, Freddie Peralta, Kodai Senga, Justin Steele, Pablo Lopez. And, like, and Reagan's and like it happened long enough ago that I don't think Reagan's and Scooble or anybody was thinking about them in this range, right? Uh, it looks like SP 15 off the board for Blake Snell yeah. in that mock draft. That uh, might, yeah. Okay, I'll think about it some more. All right, well, let's talk about another pitcher here who is also going to be a tough one to rank for next year. Vintage Justin Verlander at the Mariners in, again, another massive series. Mariners kind of shooting themselves in the foot right now, but a great start for Verlander. Eight plus innings, three hits allowed, one earned run, eight strikeouts for him. And... You know, he has a 332 ERA and a 113 whip, but the underlying numbers, not buying it. 388 FIP, 456 XFIP. And you look at what's changed. The fastball, much more hittable this season. His slider has lost some whiffs. His K minus walk rate went from 23% last year to 14.5% this year. That is a massive drop. Also has given up some hard contact. And he's, what, 40 years old? Uh, you know, started the season on the IL. Wouldn't surprise me if maybe he kind of pitched through that. I think it was like the major terrorist strain or whatever it was. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if that kind of hampered him for part of the season this year. Regardless, this was an awesome start. Verlander, also a tough pitcher to rank for next year. Well, yeah, he's a tough pitcher to rank because there have been obvious signs of decline. He's going to be 41. He's had starts like this. His last, did you give the numbers from his last seven starts? Nope. They're very, they're nice, even numbers. So in his last seven starts, Justin Verlander has a three ERA, a one whip, and exactly a strikeout per inning, which is good. I mean, certainly in this environment, you know, in in past years, I might say, eh, only a strikeout per inning. But, you know, that's that seems to be among the, the, the good starting pitchers that seems to be more common right now. So, like, he's had a good season, but... How what? How much more will he decline next year? I think is at the forefront of my thoughts with Justin Verlander. So I can say for sure he'll rank behind Blake Snell, and I'm more comfortable saying Justin Verlander will be behind, be behind Cole Reagans and Tarek Skubal because I think he's, I think he's, you know, he's 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 clearly on the downswing now, and um, I I'm fine. Drafting him is kind of a rotation stabilizer, but that that's the cost I want to pay for him. I don't want to pay ace cost for Justin Verlander anymore because I think it's pretty unlikely he's going to live up to that next year. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Behind Reagans, behind Tarek Skubal, I th- I think he's probably going to be in the glob, maybe you know right at the forefront of it, but I don't yeah. know. Off the top of my head, maybe like a top... 30 starting pitcher, somewhere around there, I think, for for Justin Verlander heading into next season. 
Let's talk about Logan Webb, who also had a great start opposing Blake Snell. His second career complete game, both of those coming this season. He allowed nine hits, one run allowed, zero walks, seven strikeouts in this one for Logan Webb. 16 hard hits allowed, 90.3 average exit velocity against. He just leaned all the way into that changeup, threw it 57% of the time. That was a 41% usage entering this one. It's been a good pitch for him, 220 batting average against. Does not get a lot of whiffs on it, only 23% uh, whiff rate, but this is now six straight quality starts for Logan Webb. And we were talking beforehand, Scott, this feels a lot like Sandy Alcantara from last year. It's it's volume-based. There's not a lot of, you know, per-inning whiffs or per-inning strikeouts, but because he leads baseball with 216 innings, you know, he's right around 200 strikeouts for the season. Uh, but the ratios have been very good. And, uh, you know, entering today, he was a top-seven pitcher in head-to-head points, a little bit lower in Roto. Feels like we probably haven't talked about Logan Webb or, or given him enough credit this season. The one thing I worry about is just a guy who pitches to contact giving up as much hard contact as Logan Webb does. But maybe I shouldn't worry because you look at his last three seasons, they've they've all been pretty similar and they've been rock solid. Well, and most so much of that contact's on the ground. He's like a 60% ground ball guy, which is even more than Sandy Alcantara had been prior to this year. And uh, yeah, as... as the the strikeout rate is a little underwhelming for a, a high end pitcher, but he's as good as it gets in terms of throwing strikes and putting the ball on the ground. So I think that makes up for it. You know, he seems like a a very safe choice. And well, I guess the natural question to ask is next year Logan Webb or Blake Snell. I think Logan Webb. I, I think so too. I don't, I don't know that I say it with a hundred percent confidence. You know, it's like, I mean, if you, if you tell me Blake Snell is going to do this again next year, then okay, Blake Snell. But I have a lot of reason to doubt that. Don't I? Yeah. Uh, It's just, it's just too risky of an investment for the level of investment. It is when Webb feels a lot safer they're kind of polar opposite pitchers, right? Logan Webb does it with control, pitching to contact, volume. Blake Snell's yeah. the opposite. You know, he, he walks well, a ton, he gets the whiffs, he gets the strikeouts. He's more flashy. If, if, you, if you had told me Sandy Alcantara this year, I would have said, oh, that's a very safe pick. You know he's going to keep runs off the board. You know he's going to throw a lot of innings. And it turned out to be not such a great pick, so... And I've talked a bit about, okay, really like targeting upside with starting pitchers. But I think that's more for like pitchers in the glob. I don't know. I'm probably not drafting either of them, to be honest. I'm just not even going to bother to rank the top 20 (laughs) starting pitchers. Who cares? You know what you should do, Scott? Just put a bunch of names in a hat and have your kids pick them (laughs) out. And that'll be your top 20 starting pitchers for next season. I did announce on Twitter a website, a little website you may have heard of today that I was starting the, I was beginning the painstaking. How did I word it? I thought it was pretty good. Uh, okay. So I'm beginning the painstaking process of building 2024 rankings that I'll then hastily rearrange based on February and March draft trends. Um, and I got, you know, a, a couple people responded with that, like good luck drafting. I mean, good luck ranking starting pitchers. Cause that just seems like a nightmare. 
And that's true. And and that's mostly true for the 60 or so in the glob, right? And we're not even talking about pitchers in the glob. We're talking about ones not in the glob, above the glob. And it's still like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess Logan Webb over Blake Snell. But I think what you said is correct unless... Like, I think those guys are probably going to be third or fourth round picks. I I don't know. Maybe everyone's going to be off Blake Snell and he's more like a fifth round pick. But just based on that, I, I'm probably not going to draft either one of those two pitchers either. The ground ball rate, which we mentioned for Logan Webb, by the way, 62%. That leads baseball by far. Framber Val, uh, Valdez is second behind him with a 54% rate. So nobody yeah. in baseball gets ground balls at a higher rate than Logan Webb has this season. Uh, let's talk about a few other pitching performances here from Monday. Uh, Luis Castillo, you want to talk about rock solid. The guy has been great all year. Faltered in this big spot here against the Houston Astros. Six innings, five runs, eight strikeouts to one walk. He had 13 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. But even after this rough outing, a 320 ERA, a 106 whip, 15% swinging strike rate, his highest since 2020. He entered this start as both the as the SP4 in both Roto and head-to-head points leagues this season. He's on the Mariners again next year, a team that looks like they continue to get better. Obviously, they're a pretty young team, uh, but I think he should have a pretty decent offense and defense behind him as well. Uh, I, I don't think this is controversial in any way. Like, Luis Castillo is going to be drafted ahead of both, uh, again, ahead of all three pitchers we've talked about so far, and yes. rightfully so. Yes. Yes. Luis Castillo, top five pitcher next year. Count on it. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, pretty much in stone for now in that mock draft that I uh, did a couple weeks back. Luis Castillo was the third starting pitcher off the board at pick 28, which sounds about right for uh, I mean, for you, could make, you could make an argument for a lot of pitchers to be the third off the board. I think Strider and Cole are pretty set as the one and two options. But who is going to who is going to make the play for the third starting pitcher in next year's draft? And who are they who are they going to decide is worth making that play for? I, I think Castillo's in the discussion. That's obviously what happened in that mock, but I think there are yeah. I don't know, probably eight to ten pit other pitchers who are in that discussion. Yeah. Uh, you look at the pitchers that went right after him, Kevin Gosman, the whip is really high, still kind of has more blow-up uh, starts than you'd like to see from a top-five starting pitcher. Uh, Zach Gallen, you know, he's come back to earth a little bit here in the second half. He doesn't get as many whiffs as somebody like Luis Castillo does. I think Zach Wheeler is mm -hmm. might be the next closest, well, for me at least, with, with a claim to that SP3 spot because while the ERA is a little inflated, his underlying numbers are still really, really good, so... Well, then you got the Brewers, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. I think they're in the mix. Uh, you've brought up the name Tyler Glass now before. Yeah, on a per-inning basis, he's probably a top yeah, I mean, five if you're guy, selling out yeah. for upside, yeah, he's got a lot of it. So, yeah, that's going to be like wh whoever I rank third, I'm probably not going to draft unless it's an unpopular choice to rank third you know i'm probably just gonna that that seems like a very large tier and i'm not going to be the one to dip into it first yeah 
I think that's fair. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about the rest of uh, Monday's action here. Again, only four games on the schedule. John Gray had a bounce back start. It did have some hitting standouts as well. We'll talk about those right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome back in. Let's hit the rest of those Monday leftovers. John Gray back on track with a quality start at the Angels. Six innings of one-run ball, seven strikeouts to zero walks. He got up to 81 pitches. He came back out for the seventh inning. He was warming up, and then he left the start with the trainer uh, because of right wrist soreness, and the Rangers said it was precautionary. But obviously, this is much better than anything we've seen recently for John Gray, his previous six starts, a 7.99 ERA and a 194 whip, just completely lean into that slider, which is typically his best pitch. Um, yep. And I lied, Scott. I am a liar. You can call me a liar on this very podcast because last liar. week I said I was going to drop John Gray in Tout Wars, not use him this week. There was no way I could have done it. And I started him, and I'm happy I did mm. because this was a great start. The free agents you decided you'd rather be a winner. The free agents were just so then bad. a liar. The free agents were so bad, Scott. That is that is a low integrity play, <laughs> sir. It I is. I have to say. But I'm happy I did it. Any thoughts no, on John Gray? Um, yeah, no, you gave the 7.99 ERA in his past uh, six starts, but um, his his last his his past four starts, he didn't go even four innings in any of them. He was like a long reliever, basically. And so, uh, gutsy play by you. Seems to have paid off. And maybe he'll pull off that third consecutive Tout Wars championship, which would be great. There's a lot of baseball left, Scott. <laughs> There's a lot of baseball left. There's a lot but left. But you're back in the lead in your two-week matchup. So, that's that's a comfortable, that's a good position to be in. I kind of want to fume about my little fab snafu last night in the podcast league. Well, if you could do it in a minute or less, feel free. So I I had $2 left. My competitor in the championship game had one. I looked at waiver priority. I'm ahead in waiver priority. So I'm like, okay. The most he can bid on anybody is one. I have priority. Priority. I bid $1 on anybody. I'll get that guy. So I bid $1 on two start Reese Olsen. This is a points league. Mind you, Reese Olsen with two gray matchups. 
I don't win Reese Olsen. He wins Reese Olsen for a dollar. I'm like, what on earth happened here? Um, trying to figure it out. Look at the rules. Apparently, in this particular league, it's set up so that waiver priority resets every week. And I guess, you know, since waivers ran the same night as our matchup ended, I was in the lead, so I won the last week. So I guess I moved behind him in waiver order just before waivers ran. Mm. So I even had the thought, like, why don't I just why don't I just throw two dollars at Rita Olson and, and that if there's something glitchy that happens, I'll win him. But I'm like, no, I did my homework. I'm ahead in waiver priority. There's no way I can lose this. And I ended up losing it. So he gets Reese Olson and I get like Paul Blackburn and mm. we'll see how that goes. But it's it's not who is your other how who, you want to go down. Who was your other waiver claim on? Um well Paul Blackburn was my Top the top one I got. Oh, so you did one dollar on each one on Reese Olsen, one on Paul Blackburn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You were trying to play defense and not let him pick up a two-star pitcher, I guess. No, I might have started Blackburn still. Gotcha. All right. Because right now I have to start one of my starters is Joe Ryan at Colorado. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Well, I can see why that's frustrating, Scott. But uh, yeah. Good luck to you, buddy. We shall see again. You know, we still got, what, six days worth of baseball left, so uh, lots of games to play. We'll see what happens. few hitting standouts here. The Rangers wound up uh, winning that game against the Angels. They hit back-to-back-to-back home runs in the sixth inning of that one. Adolis Garcia hit his 37th home run of the season. I think he's kind of an interesting one to rank for next year as well. I feel like we've said the same thing three years in a row for Adolis Garcia. Uh, Mitch Garver continues to do his thing, three for three with his 19th home run. Nate Lowe went one for four with his 17th. And then the following inning, Marcus Semien hit his 28th home run. And he's having a pretty big September as well, kind of playing himself back into that, you know, late second round, early third round discussion for uh, Marcus Semien. Anything on these Rangers home runs? Well, I mean, we'll get into it soon enough, but I do not have Marcus Semien in my second round. I think he has a case to go there, but... A lot of hitters have a case to go there. It's it's pretty interesting how the hitter pool, as much as we've talked about the pitcher pool, it's pretty interesting how the hitter pool breaks down for next year. And so Simeon misses the cut there for me. Yeah, the, the Adolis Garcia thing is getting curiouser and curiouser because now he's not much of a base stealer. Uh, he actually walked at a pretty decent rate this year, so I guess... Pitchers have been more careful with him since he's sort of proven himself as a power hitter at this point. Um, but he's not young. He's going to be 31 next year and has the sort of skill set that probably isn't going to age so well. So I don't know. Uh, he's not in my top two rounds either. I will say that, if nothing else, for Adolis Garcia. And then there's Mitch Garver, who might be the most difficult catcher to rank next year. And I catcher is the position I started on today. As of now, he's ninth. As of now, Mitch Garver is ninth, at least for Roto Leagues, in my catcher rankings, behind Wilson Contreras and Cal Raleigh, ahead of Salvador Perez and Jonah Heim. Okay. If you can follow that logic. I I think that sounds like an okay spot. Salvador Perez, I mean, he really, over the past like three or four months, just completely fell off. And I know he's played through a lot of injuries, but he's also getting up there in age. And 
Just yep. he's so, played a lot of first base this year, which probably isn't going to happen much next year if Vinny Pas- Pasquantino's healthy. So is sure. he at a point? You know, Freddie Furman proved to be a viable option behind the plate. Is is Salvador Perez at a point where he starts to lose at bats? I think that's. What if he's just the DH? I think it's possible. I I mean I don't think he'll be just the DH. He'd probably you know split his time behind the plate, but. Eh. I mean, they don't have a lot of hitters there. That's that's a fair point. Um, but you know his his productivity—he's showing signs of just like Justin Verlander. Salvador Perez is showing signs of age too. Uh, going back to Adolis Garcia real quick, the counting stats are great. We know the Rangers' offense has been awesome this season. 105 runs scored, 104 RBI, only nine steals. His sprint speed—you know—really kind of fell off this year, and the Rangers in general. They did not run as much under Bruce Bochy um, this year, and that's been pretty consistent. If you look at Bruce Bochy's kind of coaching career with the Giants, they didn't steal a lot of bases back then either, and it's just, I I think, a different team philosophy under their previous manager was Chris Woodward, right? Um, He was very aggressive on the base pass. I mean, the Rangers led baseball the two I think two or three years that he was the manager on their team so it's just a different philosophy I don't think we should expect Adolis Garcia to get back to running you know one year older same thing with Marcus Semien I think the days of him being like a 25 or 30 plus stolen base guy are are probably behind us as well but it's just kind of interesting based on that team philosophy under Bruce Bochy a few notes here on some Yankees youngsters you know I got to Put on the Yankees hat, Scott. I got to, you know, anger some people here. But uh, just wanted to highlight some some of these young guys and what they're doing recently. Austin Wells went two for four with his second home run. And he had three batted balls over 104 miles per hour in this game. His last seven, he is batting 280 with two home runs. I think there is a chance Austin Wells is the starting catcher for the Yankees heading into next season. I mean, they've got some bad contracts and uh, I don't think they're going to make it a priority to sign or trade for a catcher. So that's a real possibility. Uh, Austin Wells, the starting catcher for them next year and Oswald Peraza one for three with his second home run. He crushed it. One ten point six exit velocity, 443 feet and his last 18 games. Now he's now batting 290 with two home runs, but a similar kind of, I guess squeeze here because the Yankees, Anthony Rizzo will be back. T.J. LeMahieu is still under contract. Glaber Torres, the final year of his contract. Anthony Volpe, likely going to be the starting shortstop on opening day. So I, I just don't really know where Oswald Peraz is going to fit in. You know, Maybe they make a trade and he's starting for another team, but I'm not sure right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a bit of a head-scratcher. What I mean, the entire direction that the Yankees are going to take uh, I, I think is is kind of hard to figure out. Like, do they do they really lean into the youth next year? Uh, they still have a lot of investment in their pitching staff, and they're the Yankees, so I kind of doubt it. I mean, especially since Oswald Peraza hasn't really shown that much in this opportunity. Um, I do think Austin Wells has to be the leading contender to be their starting catcher next year. He's this was his most productive game so far, but you know, he's kept the strikeouts down. He showed the, he's show he's demonstrated the ability to make hard contact. And uh, it seems like they like him as a catcher. I mean, I know there were doubts about 
him defensively coming up through the minors. Uh, but they haven't shied away from using him a catcher. And so he'll be, you know, provided they don't make a change behind the plate this offseason, he'll be a sleeper of sorts going into next year, I'd say. Some interesting quotes from Aaron Judge, too. After yesterday, the Yankees were eliminated from postseason contention, officially, although I think they've been eliminated for quite some time now. Uh, Aaron Judge, he was asked about, you know, the direction of the franchise, and he's saying things need to change, and, you know, I'll have discussions with the higher-ups and stuff. So, I don't know. (laughs) Kind of an an interesting (laughs) uh, quote there from Judge. Throwing his weight around there. I'm not sure if they're going to have discussions with him, if you know what I mean. I mean, hey. The captain, uh, the captain patch, right? So he's, I, I hope he has some say in the organization. Look, they have him and Gary Cole in their primes right now. They, they can't really have a year where they just lean into a youth movement. I think they still have to try and compete. I don't know. We'll see what happens with the Yankees. Yeah. Let's hit some news and notes. Cattell Marte has missed two straight with illness, but is expected to be back in the starting lineup on Tuesday. Good news for him. Jake Berger was removed Sunday with right quad tightness, which has been a lingering issue over the past week. So... Make sure to check lineups on Tuesday. Make sure Jake Berger is in there. Uh, obviously, he's been really good since joining the Marlins, keeping the strikeout right down and still hitting for a ton of hard contact. Francisco Alvarez is day-to-day with a left middle finger contusion. X-ray, x-rays came back negative for any fractures after taking a foul ball off that left hand. Michael Brantley was out of the starting lineup for the seventh straight game on Monday, but was available off the bench. He's been dealing with a lingering shoulder issue. He had... Surgery in the offseason. Uh, Garrett Mitchell, remember that name. He uh, was one of the top prospects for the Brewers coming into the year. He's expected to be activated from the 60-day IL on Tuesday. He had surgery back in May to repair a subluxation and a and labrum damage in his left shoulder. And I got a little concerned, Scott, because I, I have Mark Canna starting in my Tout Wars team. I don't have a backup outfielder, so... I hope that Garrett Mitchell being activated doesn't kind of take playing time away from Marcana. I think if anything, it will probably affect Tyrone Taylor more than anybody else. I, w- I would guess that too. I would guess that too, but hard to say for sure. I just, I realized now you mentioned the captain's patch. You, you, you were saying Aaron Judge said that. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I heard Aaron Boone. Oh, the other no. <laughs> Aaron. I'm like, ah, maybe I did say Aaron Boone. I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know that I don't know that uh, Aaron Boone needs to be dictating anything to the front office at this point. But okay, now that makes more sense. Um, and on the subject of dumb things Scott has said this podcast, uh, Tim Lincecum, two time Cy Young winner, not three time Cy Young winner. Don't want you to lose trivia night because of me <laughs> yeah i actually looked up in an article when we were having that discussion earlier tim lincecum two-time Cy young winner johan santana yeah he's he's another i mean bu- look he was the he was a four of four year stretch yeah. the unquestionable unquestioned best pitcher in baseball so his, I don't think his that's peak really was so good now yeah his yeah. peak was so good i mean it's just a short-lived career i guess for Johan Santana, unfortunately. Uh, Last news item here, Patrick Sandoval left Monday's start with right oblique tightness. And let's talk about some of these pitching schedule changes that came out on Monday. Uh, Bailey Ober is set to start Tuesday against the Oakland A's. Rocco Baldelli said that Kent Maeda would pitch in relief at some point this week. The Twins have not played yet. So get Kent Maeda out of your lineups, basically. Right, Scott? If you can. Yeah, I mean, that's... 
that's frustrating. Apparently, ba- Bailey Ober's lined up for the two starts now, but I doubt. I kind of doubt that's going to happen. Uh, at least he'll make the one start against the Athletics, though. And that's a great one. So, I think if you picked up Bailey Ober, you have him laying around. I, look, if you if you need a, a pitcher to start, then I think it's okay to get Bailey Ober in there. Yeah. And for the Dodgers, game one of their doubleheader in Coors Field, still listed as to be determined, which sounds like Ryan Pepio will either start or he'll be the bulk reliever. I, I mean, the fact that it's still to be determined leads me to believe he'll he'll play the bulk relief role again. But, you know, that doesn't mean he won't go six innings and pitch well. So I'd, I'd rather start him than Bailey Ober, even though it's at Coors Field. Yeah, because we still have that chance that Ryan Pepio pitches a, a second time later this week against the Giants. So, And he's been, I guess, better than Bailey Ober has been recently. Uh, Bobby Miller, by the way, is set to start the second game of that doubleheader on Tuesday night in Coors Field. Let's take our final break, Scott, and when we return, you're way too early. First two rounds for the 2024 season, we will discuss right after this. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome back in, and as we've done for the past couple of weeks, going to continue working in some content for next season. Look, we're still trying to help you win for whoever's competing the final week, but frankly, there's not much else to talk about, and I think we've covered all of it so far. So let's talk about these first two rounds, Scott, and uh, this is for, we'll just preface it, 12 teams, 5 by 5 Roto, Category Leagues, I'll explain the differences between head-to-head points leagues when we you know, get through these first two rounds. Uh, but let's mm-hmm. just go through the, the top six picks that you have here. Ronald Acuna, obviously no-brainer. Number two overall might surprise some people, but it probably yeah. shouldn't. 
Bobby Witt Jr., second overall. Uh, here's what I'll, I'll read off the top six picks, and then we can kind of go back and discuss some of them. You have Julio Rodriguez, third. Corbin Carroll, fourth, who uh, stole his 51st base of the season here on Monday. And then you have Mookie Betts, fifth, and Freddie Freeman, sixth. So mm-hmm. explain yourself, Scott. Bobby Witt, second well, overall. I- yeah, I mean, you would. I had been saying in recent weeks that Mookie Betts was going to be my t- number two player, and it turns out he wasn't two or three or four. He was five. And I will specify, this is for categories leagues or roto leagues. Uh, in, in points leagues, Betts is my number two. The, the, the big reason why I decided to put those others ahead of him, Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Corbin Carroll, his stolen bases. I mean, stolen bases are more plentiful now, but you know, as much as we've talked about Ronald Acuna being the fourth player ever with 30 home runs and 50 steals, or I'm sorry, the third player ever with 30 homers and 50 steals in a season, and obviously he's exceeded those uh, thresholds. Bobby Witt's the fourth player ever with 30 homers and 50 steals in a season. He hasn't done good, it. He, he hasn't done it yet, Scott. Oh, you're right. He's but at, he will. He's at 29 and 48. I think he will. He should do it. He this should. Week. Yeah. When I wrote those words, he's kind of slowed down, but he should. <laughs> and he's drastically underperformed his expected stats this year, too. I mean, he's done a good job to make up ground and batting average in the second half. But I mean, Stackhouse makes him out to be like an easy 300 hitter. I don't I don't know. Well, easy might be exaggerating, but it makes him out to be like a 300 hitter. I don't know that you necessarily need Bobby Witt to do that to justify the second overall pick. Um, but it's just the amount of steals these guys can provide. Wit, Rodriguez, Carroll. I mean, Carroll's over 50 steals this season. Uh, Rodriguez, he's showing 40 steal potential at least. And like that, that is such, even though steals are more plentiful, even though I don't know that we have to sell our soul for everyone with 20 steal potential because there's just a lot more of them now. When you're talking about 40 or 50 steals while also providing first-round production as a hitter and all the other ways, the home runs, the runs, the RBI, uh, batting average a little iffier, but you know maybe batting average too. I think, I think you're a fool to pass that up early in Roto Leagues. It's, just, it's such a big bite out of that stolen base apple and, and just makes everything, makes your path much easier going forward does come with a little more risk i mean we've seen dramatic ups and downs both as a freshman and a sophomore for julio rodriguez i know why i said freshman as a rookie and a sophomore for julio rodriguez um but the final numbers are where they are and the final numbers are i think justifying a a third overall pick here carol corbin carroll you know kind of have some concerns about that shoulder is that going to keep popping up again for him is that going to reveal a longer term injury at some point it's possible but this is a potential he might be the the fifth player to become a 30 homer 50 steel guy in a season he has that kind of upside and so i think this the slightly elevated risk for guys like wit rodriguez and carroll um you know, I, I think you have to be willing to accept that for that big steals total in this scoring format. So that's why Mookie Betts is only fifth and Freddie Freeman is only sixth. That said, I think these top six, it's pretty hard to dispute. I know the early mock, the few mock drafts we've seen already, they haven't been exactly in this order. And in fact, we've seen Freddie Freeman go as late as like 10th and Mookie Betts as well. 
But I have a hard time justifying putting them any lower than I have them here, fifth and sixth. I mean, they're not zeros for stolen bases. They are monsters at everything else. Uh, Freeman may be the home run production. You know, has has been a better in the past, but he's the safest bet for batting average among early round hitters. He's going to score a ton of runs, drive in a ton of runs, batting high in the Dodgers lineup. Uh, I do think it's unlikely Mookie Betts sets a career high in home runs for a third consecutive year. So I, I think a step back is more likely than a step forward. But he's going to retain second base eligible, eligibility in addition to having outfield eligibility. So I, you know, it's once you get past those potential um, thirty homer slash forty or fifty steal guys, that quartet at the top, I think Betts and Freeman make for very easy choices. After that. Yeah, I would mostly agree with that. In the mock draft that I did, Freddie Freeman went 12th overall to me. I don't think that's going to happen in many drafts. Um, next year, I think, you know, maybe in a mock draft, people just didn't want to take the boring Freddie Freeman kind of play. But it, what he does from a counting stats perspective, 125 runs scored and a 332 batting average. Now, I wouldn't bet on Freeman repeating a 332, but I think he could still hit 315, 320. Yeah. And, and yeah, that like type of help and batting average is just invaluable. That yeah. is, it's incredible. So if, if you can't get a huge steal, stolen base output from your first rounder, you need to make sure you get batting average from your first rounder. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I mean, Freeman, Freeman, like I said, he's the safest bet for that among the, the early round picks. And I'll have Corbin Carroll a little bit lower I talked about this recently. It's nothing to do with his production, his obviously top prospect coming into the year, and he's lived up to it, and then some. It's just that shoulder. And the way that I draft is I, I like to kind of play it as safe as I possibly can in the first round, so that'll just be for me, but I have no problem if anyone wants to rank him or draft him in the top five next year. The back half of the first round includes Kyle Tucker, Spencer Strider, Fernando Tatis, Aaron Judge, Corey Seager, and your Don Alvarez. Uh, Kyle Tucker, by the way, hit his 29th home run of the season here on Monday. He also leads the American League with 110 RBI. So finally, Dusty Baker this season has put Kyle Tucker higher up in the lineup, and obviously the counting stats have come through better. But 29 homers, 29 steals. I think, you know, hopefully, he's a good bet too. Gets a 30-30 by the end of this week. A 281 batting average. Doesn't have the monster kind of upside, I think, though, that quartet at the top does, Scott. But, man, Tucker, as a 30-30 guy in that lineup, I I think he's totally deserving of this spot here. And then the other names, I mean, it's your first starting pitcher. Fernando Tatis is going to be a fun discussion all offseason long. Uh, yeah. Aaron Judge still has as much power as anybody. Corey Seager, obviously huge season, but uh, he's had some injury risk. Same thing with Jordan Alvarez. You know, as good as he is, might be the best pure like power and hitter, just pure hitter combined in baseball, but he has only played more than 135 games once in his career. So mm-hmm. I think we have I mean, to factor that in. That's the only reason Alvarez is this low. And yeah. I do think this group is more disputable than the first group of six, uh, both the order and you know whether or not these even should be the next six names because there are some very interesting names coming up in round two. Like I said... Um, I'm only go- I only have two starting pitchers in my first 24, my first two rounds here. Only two starting pitchers, Strider, who we mentioned here, and, and then Cole we'll see in round two. And yet, 
it feels like there are more first round caliber hitters than can fit in round one. And there are more second round caliber hitters that can fit in round two. So it's a deep class of elite hitters that I still think is worth drafting. Like I don't, I don't think you zig while everyone else is zagging. Oh, I'm going to take the pitchers here because it's much harder to figure out who the best pitchers are. But, um, I do think there's a pretty steep drop off eventually among hitters. And so you want to gobble up as many of these guys as you can, but figuring out what order they should go in is going to be very tricky. I did give Tucker the edge because he is, you know, there are really no flaws from a five by five perspective in Kyle Tucker's game. Maybe he doesn't score quite as many runs because his on base skills are a little less and he bats, you know, he tends to bat not as high in the lineup as some of these guys, but um, but you know, he's going to give you power, speed, RBI, pretty good batting average, probably. So he's just like a really safe all around contributor. Uh, but Tatis, Judge, Seeger, Alvarez, they probably all have more upside than Tucker. Uh, we've certainly seen that from Tatis and Judge in the past. I mean, Tatis, we're, we're talking about what a disappointing first season back this has been after the, the surgeries and the suspension last year. But com- coming into Monday, 135 games, 25 homers, 29 steals. I mean, he's pro- he's still a pretty good bet for a 30-30 season. Uh, it's it's not as much power as we've seen from him in the past, and I do wonder how much maybe the PEDs boosted his power. I mean, that's possible. We don't know exactly the backstory with that or, or what effects it may have had. Also the fact that one of the surgeries he had torn labrum in the shoulder, it's a difficult joint to get back to exactly where it was before. And if that's kind of dragged down Tatis's power in a permanent way too, and yet still seems like a 30 homer outcome is on the table. Uh, he's only hit about 235 in the second half. So that's been pretty disappointing, but I do think, uh, I do think we look back at that, this Tatis ranking of number nine, uh, at the end of next year and say, man, it was stupid to rank Tatis that low. I think that's very possible. Um, I have a lot of faith in Seager. I think, you know, some of the injury stuff, Tommy John, I think he had hip surgery too. Like it's, it's not all, it's not all recurring types of injuries. And, and I think, uh, I think he's as studly of a bat as you can find no speed basically. So that is the sacrifice you're making there. But I think, I think the batters who are going to give you the kind of stolen base outcome that makes them worth elevating still in this more speed-saturated environment, I think they're already gone at this point. So just take this awesome hitter and Seager, fill shortstop, which isn't going to be as deep next year as we, we've gotten used to it being. I think that's a good call. I don't feel entirely comfortable having Seager sandwiched in between Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez because I think in a lot of ways Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez are the same player. But uh, nonetheless, that's where I have them. We have at least seen Judge get to 50 homers twice, and Alvarez hasn't done that yet, though I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility for Alvarez. All right, let's run through this second round for next season. Uh, And it starts with Matt Olson, followed by Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, and Juan Soto. Obviously, lots of question marks here as well. Scott Otani, we have to figure out what happens in the offseason. Trey Turner was that brutal first half just due to him pressing first year of a big contract in a obviously a new city in Philadelphia there as well. You know, people will look at Juan Soto and they'll say, no, you can't do the Juan Soto thing again. 
if you look at his numbers where they're going to wind up the season overall, I know the batting average, you know, probably a little disappointing at uh, 273, but he's got 33 homers, 105 RBI, 11 steals. He still has a 922 OPS. So, and yeah, he's, I don't think I am doing the Juan Soto thing again. I'm ranking and, him 18th, not 8th. And he's dropped. Yeah, like he's dropped. So I, I just think yeah. some people kind of, I don't know. I think Juan Soto is just like an easy player to dislike for fantasy, which I, I don't completely understand. But your thoughts yeah. on, on this group of six. So where it really gets what I was saying before about, okay, are these six at the end of round one the right six? The ones who have a claim to that one of those spots instead are the players who have a claim to one of those spots instead are Matt Olson, Jose Ramirez, who of course has been a standard in the first round in recent years and Trey Turner, who has had a very nice finish to the season, even though the overall numbers are going to be less than we're used to seeing. And he's ranked more based on those overall numbers. Did he get all the way back on track um, over, over the second half with the Phillies? And, And so is this ranking him too low? And I struggle with that. I struggle with having Jose Ramirez this low because if you just compare Jose Ramirez's numbers to years past, he looks like basically the same player. I don't think he's gotten worse so much as the hitter crop around him has gotten better. I talked, I don't know, a day or two ago about how the high-end hitters and, and fantasy points per game are higher this year than we've used. we've gotten used to seeing them in recent years. So Jose Ramirez has stayed the same. Well, other elite hitters have kind of surpassed him, so that's how he's ended up 14th here. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just that he's not quite as... Uh, his numbers aren't, aren't as eye-popping as, as some of those ahead of him, including Matt Olson with the 50 homers. Uh, I think it's unlikely... I think the most likely scenario for Matt Olson is he takes a step back next, next year. He's you know maybe 40, 45 home runs instead of 50 to 55. But I've I've baked that in here because if if he's exactly if Matt Olson is exactly next year who he was this year with the crazy run production with the in that Braves lineup then he's an easy first rounder. So um, I'm I'm discounting a little here by putting him 13th overall. I know somebody asked me, okay, Trey Turner. I have Jose Ramirez ahead of Trey Turner here, 14th and 15th. Why not Turner ahead of Ramirez since he obviously has more stolen base upside? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I, I think there are more reasons to be concerned about the beginning decline for Turner than there are for Ramirez, because like I said, Ramirez seems like the same guy. But I understand that argument, and um, when push comes to shove, I may ultimately flip them, put Turner ahead just for that chance at like a 40-steal season that Ramirez probably doesn't have. And then obviously, well, Garrett Cole, that seemed like the appropriate place to put him behind Olsen, Ramirez, and Turner at the three first round caliber bats who I have leading off the second round here. And then after that, we have Shohei Otani, who of course would be, is a first round caliber bat himself, but I don't know when that bat's going to be available following the elbow surgery he just had. And I'm not sure it's going to be quite at hundred percent following the elbow surgery he just had. So he's been discounted here some as well at 17th yet still ahead of Juan Soto at 18th. And the back half of the second round includes Bryce Harper, Pete Alonzo, Jose Altuve, Francisco Lindor, Rafael Devers, and Austin Riley. Bryce Harper, the second half here, he looks like he's all the way back. He'll have first base eligibility for next season. Uh, Pete Alonso, the batting average kind of looks like an outlier this season compared to years past. So if he can get back over 250 with those, you know, 45, 
maybe even push 50 home runs. I think that's possible. Uh, Altuve, he he's kind of like Freddie Freeman at second base. You know, he's like older. I think people kind of just view him as boring, but he's hitting well over 300 still. He's on a 30 homer, 25 steal pace over a full season. Uh, so he's still getting it done. Lindor, he's been a top 13 player two years in a row. Um, and then Devers and Riley, those guys are kind of like just high floor. I feel like Scott, they're not going to give you steals, but 270, 280 plus, 35 homers, really good counting stats. I think yep. if you can get one of those huge steal total guys in the first four picks to kind of come back around with one of these, just get those counting stats and some power. I think it makes sense with with like a Devers and Riley there. So Harper and Harper, Alonzo and Altuve were the ones that were easy for me to include here in round two, which is why um, they're 19th, 20th, and 21, 21st. It gets tricky after that. So Lindor, Devers, Riley t- to to round out round two. As I was saying earlier, it feels like there are more second round caliber bats that can fit in round two. And so I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, but Ozzy Albies, not here. Cody Bellinger, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero, who obviously had disappointing seasons, but had been first round mainstays the past couple of years, not even cracking round two. So it, I feel like you could, oh, Marcus Simeon, who we mentioned earlier, I feel like you could make an argument for any of those guys over Devers and Riley and maybe even Lindor. Uh, and I, I wouldn't dispute it too much. I just, I feel like there's less downside with Devers and Riley than some of those other hitters we just named. Uh, I mean, obviously, they both outperformed Bichette and Guerrero by a pretty considerable margin. And even Ozzy Albies, who the production has been there for him, I do think he's he's like at the maximum power output he's capable of. Like he's he's totally maxed out his power projection. And so any normalization there could cause him to to not perform quite like a second rounder. Uh, so that's why I have Devers and Riley ahead. And Lindor's in here just because I feel like he's maybe he's one of your last chances at a considerable home run and stolen base total. He's gonna come close to 30-30 this year. And uh, there aren't gonna be too many players available in later you know, in round three and beyond who, who can reach those marks. So that's why Lindor's this high. Uh, I do want to point out something with Altuve because he might raise an eyebrow for some people here at the end of round two and going ahead of Ozzy Albies and Marcus Simeon, et cetera. In terms of fantasy points per game, Jose Altuve is behind only Acuna, Seager, Betts, Otani, Olsen, and Freeman. He's seventh in head-to-head points per game and the six ahead of him I just named are basically the six guys who are in the MVP conversation this year. Um, so, you know, he missed a lot of time with injuries earlier this year, specifically he the broken thumb, right? I think it was a thumb. This is not going to happen every year, obviously. Uh, but Altuve has certainly proven he is still an elite bat, and this has been two years running of him getting back to that standard. So I think it's safe to target him like a second-round player despite uh, despite the time he's lost to injuries the past couple of years. Jose Altuve, 75 runs scored in 85 games played this year. So, I mean, still that lineup is producing and he, he's getting on base. He's making contact. He still has power and, and some speed. So yeah, I, I'm fully on board with that. I, I know he's, he's getting up there a little bit. Altuve is, yeah, he turns 34 years old next year, but there really are no signs of decline as of now for him. What changes in a head-to-head points league for next season? Scott mentioned Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. They move up to two and three overall. Other names that move up, 
uh, Aaron Judge, Corey Seager, Jordan Alvarez, Juan Soto, names that move down. I think some of the obvious ones here in a points league, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Corbin Carroll, Fernando Tatis, uh, Spencer Strider, and then Marcus Semien and Alex Bregman actually sneak into the back half of the second round. The the Strider one I thought was kind of interesting, Scott. Um, yeah, because I have him as a first rounder in the Roto, and I have him as an early second rounder, right, in the head-to-head points. Yep. Uh, and and so it's it it, it the, the higher Roto ranking is really because he's such an outlier in strikeouts, and obviously that is a. <laughs> It's a category unto itself. So if you can get that big of an advantage, like if, if you're going to invest in a pitcher early, you need to make sure he gives you a big strikeout advantage. And no pitcher does that better than Strider. Strikeouts aren't as valuable in points leagues, at least the standard CBS uh, settings, because they're only half a point each. So it doesn't mean they don't have value, but they they don't distinguish a they don't distinguish a pitcher by as much as as they do in Roto and categories league. So I, I feel like Strider isn't as clear of a number one in the points league. And I also think there's a lower threshold to meet to be a good points league option at starting pitcher. Uh, so as a whole, you don't need to be as invested in the elite starting pitchers. You can, you know, a lot of that glob is going to be more useful in a points league than it is going to be in a roto league. So I think in general, paying up for the really elite arms is something that's going to be more justifiable in a categories league, even though we think of points leagues as being the uh, more pitcher, pitcher, uh, eh, I don't know what the, they're, they're more, it's a more, it's the more pitcher friendly format, but that, that doesn't always have the effect you think it does. In this case, I'm saying it's going to make more pitchers, a, a larger number of pitchers usable than uh, than in categories leagues. All right, there you go. A sneak peek, an early look, the first two rounds heading into 2024. Let's wrap up one bullpen update. Clay Holmes struck out two for his 22nd save of the year. And here we go. Streamers, to stream or not to stream on Tuesday. This is according to MLB.com, which is uh, usually pretty accurate, I would say. We have Michael King at the Blue Jays. I know there were some concerns. He wasn't listed as the starter uh, as of yesterday, but he now is listed as the starter on Tuesday at the Blue Jays. I think Bailey Ober against the Oakland A's. Yep. Brian Pepio, if he starts or bulk relieves, I, I think those are probably the top three in some order. Yeah, I agree. I mean, King is a must. The other two, Ober and Pepio, you know, probably still want to start him. I think they're good enough that I, I I'm not too afraid of it, but King just looks like he could be a league winner here in this final week. Anybody else that you could talk yourself into? Josiah Gray at the Orioles. Uh, Tanner Houck is facing Tampa Bay. Joey Lucchese is going up against the Marlins. Uh, We have Reed Detmers against the Rangers. Adrian Hauser against the Cardinals. Maybe Hauser, actually. I mean, the Cardinals lineup is the pits right now because Arenado's done for the year. Contreras is done for the year. It's it's Goldschmidt and a bunch of kids, basically. And uh, I think there's a good chance Hauser gives you five or six solid innings. On Wednesday, we have Ranger Suarez up against the Pirates. We have Wade Miley against those Cardinals. We have mm, <laughs> no one else that I feel too great about, but I'll mention Brandon Fott at the White Sox. They have been terrible in the second half, but specifically against righties, they've been really, really bad. Um, 
I don't know, Dane Dunning at the Angels. Their lineup is not very good right now. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Ranger Suarez is the easy one here. And I don't love any of the others. I don't know that I'd want to risk it. If you're if you're asking me to pick a second and third for Wednesday, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Brandon fought at the White Sox just because that lineup is so bad. And maybe Wade Miley against the Cardinals, but I don't love either of those. All right, we're gonna wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.